from the Persinium Podcast, the podcast about filmmaking and movie watching from the Persinia Film Society. I'm Tim. I'm Dustin. And today's episode, we are talking about what, Dustin? I think we're talking about Jurassic Park. Jurassic, yeah, I'm calling it Jurassic Scream. Jurassic Scream. Because we're doing a Both. double feature this Saturday, which is June 15th. Yes. At the Mayflower Arts Center in Troy, Ohio. Mm-hmm. We are showing Jurassic Park. And then later on that evening, we are showing Scream. So I'm just calling it Jurassic Scream. Jurassic Scream. It's like a primal scream. Yes. But with dinosaurs. Dinosaur primal And Drew Barrymore. They both scream. But she's not in Jurassic Park. No. But she is in a Steven Spielberg movie, E.T. So see? Did he do Firestarter? I don't think so. You don't think he did? Six Degrees of Steven Spielberg, which is probably really easy to do because he directs a lot of stuff. Hey, how was the uh, Night Stalker? Night... Watcher. Oh, Fritz the Night Owl. Night Owl. But he was wonderful. Last Saturday at the Mayflower, Fritz the Night Owl, who is a TV... Can you tell me who it is? I don't know who it is. He's a, he hosted late night movies on Channel 10 in Columbus, Ohio, back in the 70s, 80s. He did it for 17 years, seven nights a week. Wow. 6,205 wow. consecutive episodes. And he did everything from drama, comedy. I, I usually watched him on Friday night because that was the night he did horror. Does it say he didn't just do like horror movies like nope. Svengoolie? Do the like Svengoolie type of thing where he would come in, introduce the movie, and when comedy he went into act. commercial break, he would do a, a, a skit, a routine, Yeah. go to the commercial, come back from commercial, do another uh, routine about what was going on in the movie, go back in the movie. So he was the bookend of the commercials. And what they're doing now is they are taking movies and inserting where there be commercial breaks and then putting in his um, skits and routines. Mm. Or we watched The Lost Boys. Why Why was it Lost Boys? That was the one that made the Flower Water show. Oh. Yeah, he has, I think, uh, over 100 movies. He has movies. a bunch. Yeah, he has he a like bunch. Episode, I got on his website. There's like episode one. And we should have invited him for episode one. Episode one of what? Yeah, us talking about episode one. Oh. Yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah. And he has won old. six Emmys. The last one was in 2013 when they did a reboot of his his movies stick. Because I didn't realize Fingouli, he's been on the air since like 73. It's Apparently Fingouli's son is the new Fingouli. The original? Yeah. Yeah. The, this one, though, now has been on since the 80s, I think. Yeah. I looked it up once. It's been on a while. Fingouli was out of Chicago. Uh-huh. Well, then when was Elvira? Because she was, this was a thing. Yeah, she was Elvira. I think just finally retired last year. Yeah, because she did the same. But this was before cable and before satellite. (coughs) Joe Bob Briggs, that's the one. I don't know. He does the same type of thing, and he's on MeTV, I believe. (coughs) No, that's Fingouli. He's Joe Bob Briggs is on one of some channel where he does the the riffing on movies. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. But Fritz has been a major influence on a lot of those folks because he's been around for quite a while. But that was a thing when you didn't have, like I said, cable because you had individual what TV stations out of certain cities, and that's what they do because they had to fill airtime so you'd get cheap movies. And I watched them when I was in college. We didn't have TVs in our dorm rooms. There was just yeah. a TV lounge in the in the lobby of the dorm. So oh, Friday yeah, night, yeah. I would go down and maybe consume beverages because at that point in time, we were allowed to. Back in the good old days, Back in the days when 18-year-olds could drink. <laughs> Three, two beers? No, it was real beer. Oh, you, you, could get, you could get full service yeah. at 18 hmm. in those old days. Yeah, that was way before I was around. <coughs> what is wrong with you right now? You got the Dry Ebola. Throat. You got the Ebola. 
Speaking of which, what are you drinking right now? I am drinking a beer. What is it? <laughs> it is... What's it called? Molar Brew Barn's Honey... Honey Wagon IPA. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? I am. Update, though, because you caught me on the spot when you asked what kind of movies were in the 70s. I forgot. Disaster movies were in the 70s. Oh, yes. Earthquake, Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure. Airport. Airport. Yeah, those were all... Yeah, I disa- remember all those. Disaster those were great. Movies. Yeah, disaster movies were big. And those are the ones that had the... Um... Earthquake is so boring. I remember watching it because I went to Universal and rode the ride, and I was like, this is going to be cool. And then I watched it, and a lot of it is not Earthquake. It's a lot of thinking about Earthquakes. That was the sense round where they had the really big bass speakers in the front of uh-huh. the theater, and they found out that there's a specific tone. I want to say it's 16 megahertz. I'm making that know. up, maybe. That causes the human body to vacate its bowels. Were they using those during Earthquake? They were at first, and then realized that was a bad idea. So they took that frequency out of the... <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's like the Tingler on steroids. Yes. The Tingler just jabbed you in the back with, like, plastic. But not every seat had the Tingler. No, you're right. They also sprayed water or something on you, like this ghost, this skeleton flew over the crowd and peed or something. We should do more of that. More, <laughs> more Tingler. Get people in the seats. I think I have the movie from the Tingler, but it's not the same with not, it's not, not being in the theater and being poked and prodded. No, because it's a bad movie. Yes. It's a gimmick. It was all gimmicky. To keep people in the movies from going to the drive-thrus. Drive-thrus, Dr- the drive-ins. Or drive-thrus. But, you know, it's movies. Movies, Tim. So it's, did you enjoy Lost Boys? Did you sit and watch it? I haven't seen that movie in years. I didn't watch the movie. I ended up sitting outside the theater talking with um, Fritz and his publicist. They had all kinds of great stories of... Fritz. Of Fritz and meeting Mm. people and going to conventions and... You know the thing is, though, about celebrities, and I think about this in my own life, when I go out in public and so many people recognize me. (laughs) I was being facetious. But when they do recognize me, it irritates me. I can't imagine having that 24-7 where you're bound to seem like an a-hole. Because, yeah, what if you want to just sit and watch a sporting event... Or just sit down and have a quiet dinner. Yeah, then you got yeah. The dinner thing is really where I would say. I mean, yeah, and they don't really do autographs anymore. I guess it's more phones, pictures. But people, still, people like to get pictures. Autographs are kind of a thing in the past. Now it's pictures, pictures. I didn't think about autographs being a thing of the past. Yeah, because I was listening to a podcast with Kevin Hart, and he said he hasn't signed an autograph in years. It's all pictures now, where they hold their phone up, and take pictures. I think I'd want an autograph. I don't. I don't know. I've never been into autographs. So I don't. I, I like. The t- but I could I imagine like, like being able to hold something and go look. I could imagine like sitting and trying to talk to someone I'm with, and then people running up going, oh, "I love Clockwork Orange." Okay, thank you. I'm trying to eat. I mean, I'll see you later. Or I'll see you. Yeah, let's talk about Jurassic Park and scream. And then scream. Do you want to do scream first? Let's do, let's do scream first. Scream first. Yeah. I brought a nifty book today because I couldn't remember the title. What's your book? It is called Torture Porn in the Wake of 9/11. And it's by Aaron Michael Kerner. It was written in 2015. Is it a book or is it a collection of essays by different people? No, it's him writing a book. But each chapter, obviously, these academic books are different aspects of torture porn. Like, there's one chapter dedicated to Saw. There's a whole book on torture porn. Yeah. Saw is one, and then um, Battle Royale, which is a Japanese exploitation torture porn movie does he cover scream in his yes book? scream is in it what's he cover about scream he points out that scream in, the, in his opinion scream is the first torture porn movie quote unquote but then uh they also usually say that 
the general criticism is that Scream is it marks the end of the slasher genre. There were other slasher movies before you yell, but Scream is like the bookend. This was the end of the slasher era with Scream is usually what they point to. Because then next came the torture porn movies. Yeah, you, you've mentioned Scream several times in terms of that was a pivotal movie and that it is self-referential. Yes. The way that other movies in the past hadn't. The slasher genre. All right. So back up. I'm always backing up. They usually point towards, although there's debate, the first slasher movie is what, Tim? Psycho. No. Halloween. Halloween. Halloween's the beginning of the... Although Psycho, that's the debate. Psycho has all the ingredients for the slasher genre. And Halloween borrows a lot from Psycho, even down to character names. But Halloween gets the nod as the... Halloween gets the nod as the first, because then after that, that's when it kind of exploded in the 80s. And it really was... It was quick. It was a quick burnout where they just became so nonsensical really fast that Scream parodies all of that into where it's meta. It's almost meta meta fiction where it's kind of... But there's still a killer in Scream. There is, but the joke in the killer at the end kind of twists it with how you found out who the killer is with the whole stabbing scene, which is funny. There's humor in it. Whereas the slasher movies, some of them took themselves way too seriously, even though it was venturing on nonsense really quick. It burn out really quick. There's some three or four really good slasher movies, but then after that, it just became everyone knows the tropes now. Don't right. go, don't leave the group and wander around. Well, they even the, make fun the of slutty that girls. Scream. The guy, right? Who studies horror movies says these are the rules that yeah, we should yeah. be following. And you have the token, you know, promiscuous cheerleaders that end up getting killed after they have sex, and that's all. By the time it got to Scream. Wes Craven said, well, I'm going to make fun of this because Wes Craven had been working in slasher movies now for 10 years because of Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, But then he also did before that, he did uh, Last House on the Left, which was an exploitation movie. And then he did uh, Hills Have Eyes, which also was exploitation. Venturing on torture porn. So the debate is generally Psycho came out in 60 and Peeping Tom came out in 60, which is a British film. And they both have very similar attributes to the slasher genre, which takes a lot from slasher and or psycho and peeping Tom. So Scream at the end, by the time it gets to Scream, it's completely ventured into parody and nonsense with Friday the 13th, 15 and Nightmare on Elm Street 7, I think it was. And Jason goes to hell and just it's just it was worn out. So what Wes Craven did is he said, well, I'll just kind of parody it and make it kind of a meta narrative. So the idea with the the uh, torture porn is, according to this Kerner fellow, Scream has a lot of the tropes that show up in like the Saw franchise and the Hostel franchise, where there's kind of prolonged torture elements, but it's usually like Saw. There's like some kind of game they're always playing, and if you remember with Scream, the very beginning is they're playing a game talking yes. about horror movies, yes. which is where it's self-referential. But Scream has a lot of the prolonged just grisly violence in it whereas torture porn is the same way but torture porn also borrows a lot from exploitation cinema so torture porn essentially is like exploitation cinema that showed up during the war in iraq does that make sense to you it does i'm i'm I like saw <clears throat> saw was generally the first one they say I, did, the, I didn't put those two together on the timeline like that before yeah I never realized that yeah because the war in iraq especially like hostile hostile more so than saw some of the imagery that what's his name, uh, Eli Roth, who I can't stand, uh, used in Hostel comes directly from like the photos that were released of the Abu Ghraib prison where they were stacking. Remember they were stacking yes, the yes. prisoners up, yeah. and so the a lot of that the, was being uh, leaked. Electric, yeah, electric their genitals, all the good stuff. Yes, so a lot of torture porn then came out of that reaction against 
the torture and the Guantanamo Bay and the waterboarding. It seeped into the culture of America. And torture porn, that fizzled out quick. That really, it didn't last long. Because now we're back into the phase now, which I'm glad, is more um, the psychological horror stuff. I'm thinking Hereditary, The Witch. It's all, it follows. It's all more back into kind of traditional, not as much for the jump scares. We still have this, obviously, but I'm talking about the more successful horror film. But I remember seeing Scream, and it was a lot scarier then than it was when I watched it last weekend. Last weekend, I was laughing more than anything because well, it's just so bad. In it. Well, no, it's just so cheesy and so bad. Well, it's supposed to be cheesy. Slasher movies are cheesy, right? But at the time it came out, yeah, we, it was it. It was it, a big it was, deal when it, it came was out. Cheesy. Well, it was the it was violence. Still, it, was, it was still a horror movie that had the twists. violence was right. a big deal too. How graphic it was, especially the Drew Barrymore intro because he pulled the classic Hitchcock again. It's the Hitchcock who you think is going to be the star of it because they played Drew Barrymore as the star of the movie was killed within, what, 10 minutes? So, yeah, he he pulled that move again because he does it in Nightmare on Elm Street as well, but he did it in a way that it was so quick that you thought, wait, I thought she was the main character. Oh, I guess not. And the trailer for Scream... Was Drew Barrymore. Right, it's, yeah. it's all about Drew Barrymore. And she was the big star then. And then I mean, bigger than right. the other The other ones became stars, but somewhat. That's kind of the fun thing is seeing some of them when they were much younger and it's like, oh, you weren't good. Yeah. I love that stabbing scene in the kitchen, though. That is so cringy. Oh, and they stab the each sounds other? And, oh, yeah. It's so realistic. It's like, oh, they're just stabbing each other and like the <laughs> spine. And, like, the, and then the one guy keeps saying, I think I'm dying. He just keeps stabbing him. <laughs> it's a great movie. I like Scream. Uh, by the way, I think it was it, it Scream is, 4 it, it, that had the stabathon where everyone showed up at the theater and they were stabbing each other. I, I, got, I didn't see, I didn't see yeah. 4. But after two. I think I would have to look up, which I'm not doing right now because he did a lot of movies. But I think Wes Craven, I think Scream was his most successful at the box office. Second, I think I would have to check. But I think I read Nightmare on Elm Street, which are his two, I would say, best movies. I think Wes Craven is, well, he's very prolific. A lot of those slasher directors like John Carpenter, and they're very prolific where they can make these things quick. I like Craven better than Carpenter uh, as a whole. John Carpenter has a couple good movies. He has some real stinkers. Why did you pick Scream as one we were going to show? Actually, someone recommended this. You should show Scream. I said, oh, yeah, we should show Scream. So we do listen to folks um, when they say you there's should, also you should a, shows. There's also a new nostalgia for 90s, so it hits that 90s nostalgia. Because but Scream it, is a classic now. I mean, and watching point. it, like I said, it is cheesy. The filming is really poor. I think we were texting while I was watching it, and it has that early digital feel. But it's not digital. It's not? No, they didn't film a digital. I think the first digital movie was uh, episode one. I think Lucas was the first to film a digital. It was really expensive, digital was. It just has that look like the early commercials and and TV shows when they first were shooting. Yeah, it has the, yeah. Di- it has the digital, 90s. It has yeah. that 90s feel. But, Especially uh, with the, the framing and cropping. and Yeah, oh. yeah I don't think it was shot in digital. It was, it was film. So episode one yeah. was the first digital. That's why the room he shot in digital and film. Ed film. You could have both. It's very expensive. Digital was then, but now it's everyone's converted over to digital, so you kind of have to. There's still now it's switched. There's some directors that still film and film, right? Like Nolan does it, and Tarantino does it, and uh, the new Robert Eggers movie, who directed the Rich, the Witch, he shot his new horror movie that's coming out, The Lighthouse, in 35 millimeter black and white. Oh, he shot in black and white. Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Because color converted to black and white looks very different right. than 
when they film it when they film right. it as black and white. And watching films on film is very different. The colors and everything. Yes. If you can somehow get a chance to see that. Yeah, his new movie coming out takes place in 1896, I think it is, and it's an and old, didn't have old color there. It's an so. old lighthouse, so it's yeah, it looks very dark and literally dark and dirty because he likes that historical authentic look. Anyway, it's got Willem Dafoe in it. I'm really excited. It did well at the Cannes Film Festival. I was I keep hearing or seeing good reviews or Sundance for it. or yeah, one of those. Yeah. Anyway, Scream. Scream. I wasn't allowed to watch it. I was young. I was like fifth fifth or sixth grade yeah. when that came out. Should be like interesting. Seeing like on the big now. screen is always always an experience. Yeah. I'll be exhausted. Because we're starting at... Jurassic Park's at 7. <laughs> Jurassic Park starts at 7. And then screams at like 10.30. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. Doors open at 10. Movie starts at 10.30. Yeah. It'll be fun. All right. Jurassic. Before, we have a four scream. We're showing Jurassic Park. And One of my favorite movies. And I'm, I've promised to behave because I'm, I'm, re- oh, I'm, re- I'm reevaluating my position on Jurassic Park. Yes, you have because of, because of our ongoing and frequent debates and discussions. On I'm so tired of it. So exhausted by the floating Tyrannosaurus discussion. But do not bring it up before the movie because then people are just going to look at it and ruin the movie. And as I watched it again, I think last weekend, and I kept going back and watching that part of it. I've got stuff we have to talk about, but we won't do it today. Ugh. It's not in the same spot. The car start the stop at the first no, time. Anyway, no, we're not we're not going to get into it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. The executive summary is, I'm ah. convinced the, the cliff magically appears out of nowhere. No, And Dustin there. says the cliff has always been there. It's there. It's there in the book, too. There are the canals in between the fences and the... Anyway, because so- when Ellie... Now we're on to it. When Ellie comes back <laughs> in the Jeep, because I just watched it last weekend, too, I rewatched it. She walks further over to the left where the other car is from where they stopped the first time. So the car that Grant and Ian are in the second time is where the back stops the first time where the goat is. But when the T-Rex crashes through he the comes fin- through in between. In between the two and vehicles. And he pushes the car down further. Not very over far. It. But Not when she, that's far. how they're able to climb down and get to the car. I'm, I'm still, I'll just, no, I'm still saying it. it's a Spiel, it's, he, he Spielberged it. It's not your fault of it. There are Spielberg moments in it, yes. But I've decided it is more of a comedy. Oh, my God. How if, is it if, a comedy? If, if, I, if I, Jeff Goldblum. No, what? <laughs> How's he comedy? I mean, he has funny lines. Yeah. Well, it is It is a Spielberg movie. So he is a master at hitting all the emotions, and you know which emotion you're supposed to have at that time. And you're saying that... It's Blockbuster. Um, the, it's Blockbuster. The, um, who wrote it? Michael Crichton. Yeah. That he was writing the book as they were filming the movie? Yeah. So they bought. So Spielberg bought the rights to the book as he was writing it. And so all he had was notes where Crichton thought he was going. So that's why, well, it's a large reason why the book and the movie are so vastly different. I tend to like the movie better. I, I like the book, but it's different. It's a different feel. It's a different tone. Do you want to know some of the differences? Well, Have you I, read I, the book? I, I read the book before I saw the movie. Like a long time ago? Well, yeah. When it first came out, I saw the movies coming out. I was like, oh, I want to read this book so yeah. I can enjoy the movie. I mean, I like Crichton. I like his writing. I went through like a Crichton phase in like eighth eighth grade. I read a lot of them. Like Sphere was really good. A lot of Crichton movies, or a lot of bleh, a lot of Crichton novels don't make good movies. Like his books usually are vastly better. For instance, Timeline. Did you read Timeline? No. Timeline is way better than the movie because Timeline um, is more accurate to time travel. 
in the movie you just don't have time <laughs> you don't have time to explain it you don't have the time that he has in the novel to explain how they're able to communicate in like 14th century France where the language is going to be but in the book they explain that whereas the movie they just show up and like oh it's the middle ages and they're speaking English fine and there's French but in real life they would not even English would sound completely different than what we know it is now right so if you went back to 1310 or whatever it was you would not be able to communicate well with the you'd English. not be able to fit in no um, largely the King James Bible, if I remember right, was a big uh, push towards regulating English. It still isn't. It still is fluid, but uh, it was just different. It was different. Plus, the French was different. I mean, it evolves. Language evolves. Anyway, uh, Congo. Congo's another one where the book was good and the movie was not. And that's a lot of the movie was the gorillas just did not. They look like people in monkey suits. So is it the story that can't be moved into movie well or directors who just aren't adequately representing the book because you have the same problem with stephen king his books do right. not make good movies right i mean sometimes it's just the it's the medium the medium of film visually is different than reading these books so michael Crichton's really heavy on like science and so you get a lot of that in his books whereas they don't transfer to the movies because it's a there's a lot of science jargon because he knew his stuff I mean, he was like, he, what do you go to, John Hopkins, I think? Or University of Chicago? I don't he was an actual physician, because that's where ER, he wrote ER. Right. He was in the, anyway, so he knew his stuff, and he knew, like, the research, but he incorporated into these paperback novels that were big in the 90s well, but the storylines aren't movie storylines. For instance, Jurassic Park, <laughs> Grant and the kids make it back. They don't leave the island. They go hunting for, like, raptor eggs. And they find these nests, and it goes out to the shore, and there's this whole, like, search and rescue of the raptor eggs. It's a different tone because, or a different, the pacing's weird because you had all this intense, and then it's like, oh, let's go find these raptor eggs. And so you go on, like, the scavenger hunt for these raptor <laughs> eggs because he's trying to figure out if the raptors are breeding, which is weird. They firebomb the island at the end. So I the remember mil- that part. The military shows up and... <laughs> basically kills all the dinosaurs, which was really weird when he wrote Lost World because it didn't even make sense with... Ian Malcolm was back alive. He dies in the book, but somehow he's magically a main character in Lost World, and he was like, eh, it's Hollywood one to make. The Lost World book was not that good. So that doesn't... Tra- I mean, it just doesn't transfer well. The thing that the movie is missing that I always liked, and they tried incorporating it into The Lost World and some of the others, was when the kids... When Grant and the kids go down the river... The way they get back to the visitor center is largely by taking the river because they're so far away from it. Spielberg originally had planned to film sequences where they went and uh, like the Tyrannosaurus is chasing them more in the movie, in the book. Um, The Tyrannosaurus in the book is kind of like stalking them the whole way. Whereas in the movie, he kind of leaves. Of, yeah. He kind of leaves them alone, but you you can hear him sometimes roaring. But it's not the same as in the book, where he's always after them. And I think they came to the conclusion it'd be too long of a movie for a summer blockbuster. I mean, it's already over two hours. So if they added this forty-minute divergence down the river through pterodactyl, the aviary, and the Tyrannosaurus is swimming after them, and technology as well. I mean, they were still working with animatronics largely. It was just too much, so they cut it. So what they did originally, which was cool, is they made it the Jurassic Park ride, which is the river part. Yes. So largely, did you took, enjoy that? I did like the ride. The ride is great. Um, that's one thing that's different. One of the biggest changes from the movie to the book were the characters. The characters are different. So Grant is older. Ellie is like 22 years old, and they're not dating. 
Like Ellie, Ellie in the book, if you remember, is like his grad student. So that whole storyline isn't there. The kids are switched. Their genders are switched. So the girl's the boy, and the boy is the girl. Yeah, but they're old. So yeah. in the in the book, Tim is older than Lex is. Lex is like seven or something like that, and Tim is the one that's into computers, whereas neither of them are really into dinosaurs. Whereas okay. in the book, they made it kind of where, or the movie, Tim is kind of like Grant's like doppelganger, if you will, well, like yeah, younger, he, where he yeah, they're even kind of dressed the same if you watch yeah, it. He's, yeah. in, he's into the dinosaur thing at that age. Yeah, whereas Lex is conveniently into computers so she can hack the system. And Which is one of the problems I had with it because <laughs> as a computer scientist at that time, <laughs> it's, uh, I was eye-rolling what she was doing as, as a hacker. Uh, what's her it's a it's not a binary switch so it's a it's a unit system that doesn't exist yeah. <laughs> oh it does oh does that, it that's a real computer they're working on but that that thing with the boxes and the is that real it's just a user interface oh um what else what else what else um characters so then um ian malcolm dies he's a he's not as comical in the book he's more serious kind of brooding guy i like him better in the movie because it's like I've stated previously, it's Jeff Goldblum. And yeah. Jeff Goldblum can do no wrong in my in my world. <laughs> we should have him on the show. He'd probably come. We'll ask him. Yeah. Is, I'll, he, is I'll, he on Twitter? I should. I should tweet him and say, will yeah. you be on our talk about Jurassic Park? Exactly. John Hammond dies in the book. He gets eaten by compies, the little green dinosaurs, which aren't in the movie. They were limited, too, in the movie with how many dinosaurs because they were still using animatronics. I mean, CGI is really limited in the movie, which is the nice. I think it works well. Because we're not just bombarded with CGI that looks fake. And the way they blended it, it's it's well done. I mean, it still holds up now. Especially the Tyrannosaurus scene. It blends easily. The Brachiosaurus didn't age as well in the daylight. But they did a good job of when he pulls on the tree and the tree actually moves. So that, that all helps with CGI. Whereas CGI now, we just make everything fake. Was that CGI or was that, was that a puppet doing that? Was there that... was a puppet when they were feeding it, but when they first see it, when they first get to Jurassic Park, that's CGI. Oh, yes. And then, But when he pulls on the tree, that's a real tree they were manipulating to okay. look like, which is yeah. how you do that. But then a lot of the dark scenes are well work well with CGI because it's easier to blend it. So when the Tyrannosaurus attacks at night, it looks more realistic than when he attacks later on with the Gallimimus running. But when the Gallimimus were running, that was revolutionary what they were doing with the image. Because I remember they that was when they first got where they hooked the nodes or whatever to their heads so they could see where their faces were looking so that they could manipulate the Gallimimus to run. But they also studied how birds um, flock. Yeah, but I'm talking about actors in oh, with, okay. with these oh, computer... Right. Because actually the original plan was to use stop motion. And so a lot of the scenes they had blocked for stop motion dinosaurs. Right when they were getting ready to do the stop motion, like they had the models, they had scenes done with like the Tyrannosaurus. Spielberg said, oh, this computer program is available. Thanks, George Lucas. ILM came out and said, we have this. And so they used the CGI. Like the raptor, there's a whole, the whole scene with the raptors was set up with stop motion. And so literally they just fired the stop motion people. I can't they imagine that would have been as... It wouldn't have looked as good, I don't right. think. There's something nice but, when they do the stop motion that, that you know it's what the, level of effort was put in oh, to make yeah. it work. But it doesn't... It doesn't look the it same. It doesn't look real. But what was nice and what made it more realistic is those scenes were already blocked with the stop motion. So the CGI was easy to put in and use both the, the um, animatronics and together. So that's how it worked well. I'm trying to think of what else differences other than like the sciencey stuff the whole sub 
subtext of them evolving in their personal lives isn't really in the book. The book is more geared towards just kind of the science of cloning. Because cloning was, I mean, that was a newer concept in 92, right, 93. because we were doing yeah. test tube babies and all that <clears throat> good stuff. Right. Yeah, the Dolly, Dolly didn't hit to what, like 97, 96, 97? The cheap, and then she died what? pretty early. Yeah. Anyway, so it was more involved with, like, the concept of cloning dinosaurs and making this science fiction world in the book, which Crichton's great at. The funny thing, if you watch it, though, and you think about it, the dinosaurs, and I think they touch on this on the later awful Jurassic Park movies, Jurassic World, they're not actually bred to be authentic dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, so it's more of like a monster movie. Because if you watch it and you think, well, they are manipulating genes, they're manipulating, they're kind of just making dinosaurs how people would want to see the dinosaurs. So there's no guarantee that what we're seeing and because in they're the just park man- is what the dinosaurs actually right. Look like. So they're just because they're just manipulating. That's a big thing with the in Jurassic right. Park where they're talking about behavior wise. They don't know what they're going to do because they've been extinct for sixty five million years, and it's that's when the doctors are kind of manipulating this false sense of control, which is kind of like a Frankenstein movie where they think they have all this control over the animals because they've developed them. They literally say we developed them that way, but they don't have it. So that's, so they're kind of like, it's, it's almost, I mean, it is a monster movie, but it's. But in a more interesting way than yeah. Jurassic World did. Dinosaur, yeah. Because that's where they're, they're consciously manipulating the DNA to make. Fake make, dinosaurs. Mega monsters. Yeah. Which that's the only logical place that storyline can go. I mean, it's been beat to death. Yeah, but you return to the island. Oh, you return to the island again. Oh, you're going back to the island. Uh, you build a new. It's <laughs> it's tired and worn out, but it was worn out by the second one. But the second Jurassic Park or the second Jurassic World Park Lost World was oh. yeah. Yeah. it was fine, but I mean it has its moments. But overall, it's not that great. Um, the other thing that the Lost World did that Jurassic Park was separate is they made the Tyrannosaurus the villain in the Lost World. Whereas in Jurassic Park, it's the raptor. He pulls a pretty classic move where he introduces the raptor to you, but you don't see it until the end. You kind of see hints of it. So the movie opens. Oh, so we this at, is we not look, a spoiler because it's yeah, We look down in the cage, we never see them until they're out there. Loose. Right, and the whole catalyst for them going to the island was because of the accident where the raptor attacked the guy, which is played up more in the book because there's this huge, there's this sec, like 100 pages at the beginning of the book where it's they're trying to figure out why this guy is, what he died from, like the animal attack on this island that no one knows what's going on. Whereas Spielberg made it just the intro to his movie to get over that action-y, and that's what drives everyone to go see the park. But you see hints of the raptors, and you see like Dr. Grant's talking to the kids about the raptors, the dead raptors. He carries around the raptor claw. You see the baby raptor. You see them eat, but you don't see them until the very end. Once, And that's in the very end, the climax is them against the raptors. Which is kind of like Grant against his, because he's the one studying and he knows so much about raptors. It's not the Tyrannosaurus where everyone thought the Tyrannosaurus, but really, just the Tyrannosaurus just gets out and acts like a Tyrannosaurus. When the, when the raptors have the kids in the kitchen, mm-hmm. we were talking about this a few movies ago, and I forget what what is the movie? The Shining. It was the Shining. Yeah, the Shining, where the, she hides in the. It's, it's almost because Danny Danny hides in the dumb waiter, right. whatever they call him. He runs around the, the kitchen hiding behind But the funny pants. thing in Jurassic Park, she can't close. Remember, she can't close the door. Right. Like, Danny closes the door. Um, and that's how the raptor runs at her, but he sees the reflection instead of her. But yeah, so the raptor is essentially the antagonist in the movie Jurassic Park, whereas in The Lost World, it's a 
the antagonist is like the corporate entity in you know what i mean yeah so when the tyrannosaurus gets out it turns into like a weird godzilla movie where they spielberg actually had japanese people running and screaming which i thought <laughs> is kind of stupid but anyway so yeah the raptor is the villain of jurassic park and it's the reason they're even there in the first place because that's the one that attacks the guy at the beginning and you've you've mentioned several times this was one of your pivotal pivotal growing up movies yeah i think i saw this like four times in the theater can you still watch it and enjoy it? Yes. I watched it, like I said, I watched it last weekend, and I still... Do you become, do you become a 13-year-old again? No, I, it's, I'm watching it different now. It's more analyzing it. Last time I watched it, of course, now I've seen so many movies and studied movies, it's a different experience. But the way that it's paced is really well done, in that Spielberg sets up everything... He front-loads everything in the first hour, so that when... Once the power goes out, literal and figurative, that they have the power over these creatures, it moves really fast. And so you know where all the characters stand, you know what their objective is, you know what the stakes are. So the movie moves quickly and you can ratchet up the action. Whereas I feel like a lot of new movies don't understand that type of pacing. So you get into, for instance, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I always gripe about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I love the first one, the second one I did not like, and I think a lot of it was pacing. You have the, it, it does come to screeching halt. It comes to a halt in the middle, which is where you're supposed to be ramping it up for audiences to be invested. Yeah. Oh, now the odds are up. Instead, what Marvel did, and they did this a lot in the later films leading up to like Infinity War and Endgame. Endgame, even the pacing was horrible. They would ratchet it up, but then stop it, and the, yeah, it would halt into this like subplot. Of course, they have problems with subplots. <laughs> where Jurassic Park doesn't have subplots. You have one plot. They're all kind of trying to do the same thing. Survive. Get off the island. But you have subtext where you have the whole Grant realizing that he wants kids or the... Well, the kids know. aren't as bad as he thought. It's a, it's a very... I mean, Spielberg movies in general are very conservative in nature where it's always kind of the family wins at the end. Like, you just watched Poltergeist last night, for instance. Right. Spielberg wrote Poltergeist. It's a very conservative film where it's the family against these outside forces poltergeist is one of his few films where you don't have divorced families spielberg a lot of his movies have to do with divorced families well, and e. then that's et the that's the whole thing so a lot of his characters come from broken marriages but a lot of people point to spielberg was from a broken home early on and so it impacted a lot of his films where he has these single parents and kids that are from divorce jurassic park's a big one where they even introduce at the beginning when the lawyer goes to see the guy that's finding the amber that hammond's daughter just had a divorce which it's hinted at but that's a driving factor in the whole kind of subtext of the movie i haven't seen the beginning in a long time yeah usually, so usually i catch it on tv it's already in it's in motion yeah so i haven't seen the beginning for a while but that's what i'm talking about where he front loads all of this information that's going to be vital to the rest of the movie. So all the subplots are there in the first hour, and then you don't need all that at the end. You know it. You're watching it, and you know it. You're like, oh, he doesn't like kids, but he's slowly trying to get to, and then by the end, he likes, evolution is really the whole, everyone evolves at the end, except for Hammond, where he's sad at the end, because he, he, he failed again. So all of the characters, their kind of symbolic representation in the movie is all set up early. So even Ian Malcolm, where he's doing the chaos theory stuff, you see that all at the beginning. So that by when you get to the Tyrannosaurus and he says, I hate being right all the time, it's funny because you've already seen where he's right. 
he's been predicting it and talking about it all along. Right. And so then everything he talks about afterwards makes sense because you're like, yeah, he's right. He's right about this the whole time. Like the pirates don't eat the tourist line and all that stuff. And that makes sense. Ellie's the same way where she says the line about God or God creates man, woman inherits the earth. But that later echoes when she's talking to Hammond because Hammond says, I should be going to turn the power on. And she was like, what, because you're a man? Like, <laughs> but that's earlier. You saw it. So it makes sense. Right. It's not thrown out of somewhere. You're like, why is I don't know. Just um, the kids struggle with the divorced parents. You see that echo throughout the whole thing and their attachment to Dr. Grant as being, I guess, their missing father figure. So even yeah. when if you watch it back and I didn't pick this up until later in life. But if you watch it back, when he pull, when Dr. Grant pulls Lex out of the car, when the transource goes and eats the lawyer, yes, she's actually saying, Dad. Yeah, I, you can watch I, it back. Yeah. And, yeah, I have to watch it again now. Yeah. And then when he saves Tim out of the tree, he asks him if his dad ever built him a treehouse, and Tim says no. But Grant also doesn't like heights, which kind of pairs their characters together. Yeah. So what Spielberg does well is he makes these blockbuster movies with kind of, quote-unquote, deeper... Like, you could read it deeper if you want, or... You don't have to. But it, but it is made for mass audiences. Yeah. So whoever's going to see it will get something. You could technically get something different out of it, but you could all get the same thing out of it. Right. It was a dinosaur movie. They went to Jurassic Park. It was action. Or you could sit and be like, well, the transor stands in for like the divorced parents because it eats the lawyer, and the lawyer represents like tearing the family apart and grants. Yeah. Or you can look at it like the dinosaurs represent grants and the kids largely especially tim kind of the reality that kind of crushes fantasy as you get older so even grant has a fantasy about the raptors because they're extinct and he right. can study them and he but can he, make he's the expert on them until right he runs and so he has to evolve right and um you know tim loves dinosaurs but he's never seen them but then once the dinosaurs are unleashed it's not fun it's so it gets them over that so that they can become a family essentially at the end and evolve past that childish i guess childish wonder of dinosaurs but spielberg does that even in jaws with the shark is kind of a representation of quince run in from the uss indianapolis and brody's fear of water and why he was even in the island in the first place he does that a lot in those kind of movies that stuff's all there in jurassic park i mean it's it's a deeper movie if you want it to be or you can just watch it as As, as a jurassic park yeah and it moves well enough but like I said, he front loads all that, and so the pacing is so well done that as you're watching, once the action starts, you know where everyone stands, and you know where all these metaphors, and you get it, as opposed to just throwing stuff at people out of left field and then just asking them to accept it, and everyone shrugs and says, yeah. I guess they have this power, so... Like, you know that Lex is a hacker, because she says it earlier. So when she's fixing the computer, you get it. And they mentioned early on that they spliced in frog DNA... Yes. Which then that was in the tour. They bring in. That's, and that's how, how they can. They can change gender. That's how they can so breed. They can re- yeah, they can breed. And life found a way. Ian was right the whole time. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's great that we didn't talk about is the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. Is that, is John that, Williams. Is another, another Williams. Yeah. And so what John Williams does really well that people for some reason can't do in today's day and age is theming. So he has when you listen to the soundtrack, obviously the Jurassic Park theme you hear that there's a scene where john hammond is eating the ice cream because it's melting and ellie kind of berates him for because he thinks he's gonna get it back online and everything will be fine um and he tells her the story about the flea circus that he had when he was young and he connects jurassic park to the flea circus because he wanted people to see what was real and what's not really there the song that's playing as he's explaining it is the same theme that's playing at the end when they're getting into the helicopter 
and John Hammond walks and he's listening. You can hear the dinosaurs roaring and it's the same theme which connects his failures, essentially, through music. A lot of people, I mean, you have to listen for it, but right. it's, yeah, it's the same theme and then he leaves and he realizes he failed because he's staring at the amber and his cane. And I like Hans Zimmer a lot. He he is good and he does the theming. The thing that Hans Zimmer does that works well with like Christopher Nolan movies is he does, and I can't remember the technical term, but it's the rising. He ratchets it up, and so that when it gets to this crescendo, it's, it's the never ending. Yeah, he show. does that a lot, uh, which is different than Williams. Yeah, like I fall back on like the Avengers soundtrack. You under I, you can recognize the song, I think, or I could like the main Avengers song, but I, you? I, I maybe don't think I could. I've seen all if movies. you told me, yeah, if it came on at trivia night. Uh, yeah, and so I don't have, know. You have three seconds to identify yeah. this song. Would you be able to go? But there's no like and say Avengers theme song. You couldn't hum like Tim hung Tony Stark's theme song from Endgame. Yeah, you couldn't do it. I bet you you could hum Princess Leia's theme. Yes. Or you could hum the theme from ET. Or I don't know how much he does anymore. With he did the Force Awakens. I know. I don't think he did Last Jedi. I think he's because he's 80, 83, 84. I think he's. Tony. He did do the music for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. He did do a whole yes. new composition for He didn't that. do Rogue One because I remember seeing Rogue One. I was like, where's the John Williams music? Because it he, doesn't even feel like John he did, Williams. He did a whole score for the Galaxy's Edge, yeah. which they don't play. It's, they don't play it in the park. Can you get the soundtrack, though? That'd be cool yeah, you to can, listen you can, to. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's he's sound, good. It sounds like Star Wars and John yeah. Williams. Right. I'm just looking on Amazon. There is indeed an Avengers Endgame soundtrack. No, I know. There is, but it's not. I don't know. It's not the same. I know. I know they had it, but. It's very generic sounding. It's like, we yeah. need action music. All right. What is um, Alan. Silvestri. Silvestri, right. And who's who does a lot of yeah, soundtracks. Yeah, he does. I wonder if he's just told, don't do anything memorable. But it's like, I think Hans Zimmer did Pirates, and that's a memorable. You can remember yeah. that one, that theme. Well, they also had the benefit of having the. Th- theme park attractions song that they could play off of you still hear you know oh, yeah, the pirates yeah, right dun, 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 dun. yep i'm not gonna do it because we'll, we'll get in trouble <laughs> yeah but you know it the other thing another good scene to think of back to jurassic park when the helicopter is descending and they had to fasten their seatbelts. grant's seatbelt isn't the one that works or it doesn't work he, only, he has two female parts, right? And he's trying to put them together. He, t- he ties a knot, right? And he ties a knot, which shows that he overcomes. And they they reference he isn't good with computers because he touches the one and it's fizzling. Yeah. So yeah, he's not good with like machines or this kind of stuff. But he overcomes by tying the. But then it's also there's two female ends, which represents the all female dinosaurs. Yeah. I didn't think about. The, I know, the right? Symbology. Yeah, like the crashing the skeletons at the end where the. Transaurus throws the raptor and it smashes it. And yeah. when dinosaurs ruled the earth, I mean, it's all it's all there. He's, I mean, he's good at it. But and here we are, dressed twenty six years later. Yeah, twenty six later, we're still, Jurassic Park, and they're still they're still, they're still Jurassic, making them, and there's still Jurassic Park memes. Yeah, on the internet, I just saw one the other day of Goldblum's character. Yeah, is it the one where Doctor Grant's listening to his stomach? Yeah, yeah, I love that, <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, because Goldblum's leaning on the. I have the he's pop. Doing, he's doing the sexy the sexy pose. Yeah, and then Grant is. Listening into his stomach. Yeah, like the Triceratops. Yeah. That's another thing to watch when we watch it again Saturday. Of how when Grant goes to the island, you see... Because they don't know what the island technically is until they get there and see the dinosaurs. You see that, like, childish wonder. And so when they go on the tour, 
when they're in the cars and like the first one they see is the Dilophosaurus, they're all excited. But then it slowly wanes when the dinosaurs don't show up. And that's the whole where Ian Malcolm's like, are you going to have dinosaurs on your uh, dinosaurs? That's true. Well, well, yeah. There will be dinosaurs, And right? you see it later where Dr. Grant's telling Ellie that the Triceratops was his favorite as a kid, and that's why he's listening to the heartbeat. And he's, like, smiling, but Ellie's the one that's trying to figure out why it's sick. But Dr. Grant's, like, fanboying out with the dinosaurs. That's ruined once the Tyrannosaurus breaks out. Yeah. <laughs> So in that scene, when she's reaching into the pile oh, of yeah. dino poop, <laughs> that's a really giant pile of that poop. That is a big pile of poop. It's as big as the dinosaur. Yeah. It's, I'm thinking. I wonder if it shoots. Have you ever seen like the video of the hippopotamus that'll shoot? They shoot it like straight out and they wag their tail and it shoots the poop. No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It was, I, think that was, I think that scene is made for humor that dinosaur poop would be gigantic. There's new theories now where that's what caused their extinction was global warming. Too much methane because they're so big that yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, I think it's still probably that. Oh, I had a request to do a forgotten film. So my, tell me about your forgotten film series. I'd oh yeah, I'm doing forgotten films now. So I'm gonna watch movies right now. I've been doing like the last couple of years, but I'm gonna go back further of movies that people just aren't talking about anymore or never talked about, such as The Monster. No one talked about that movie. I, I didn't never, know it existed. I, ne- I never even heard of it. I know. And then I saw a preview and I said, "Watch it. It was pretty good." I'll call them forgotten films. They won't. I'm not guaranteeing they're all going to be good. They well, might they, be bad. They, they might be forgotten for a reason. Um, but some I recommended. I do Life Aquatic. I've never seen that one. See, um, I might do Life Aquatic. That thing you do. I might throw that one since you still have to watch that. Well, we have to watch that one. Yep. I have it. I bought. I got it like the day you left for Alaska. So just so I have it. Just it's on so the shelf. we can watch it. What's really funny is the cover. I was looking at it and I said, "This is strange." And I showed Amanda, and it's um, that thing you do, starring Tom Hanks, featuring Lay Wonders. It's French. I looked at the magazine. <laughs> the Blu-ray, I guess, is French. Is it? The movies? French? No, the movie is the movie, but okay. The the packaging. The packaging is all French. Okay. Which is hilarious, but because I don't want to do subtitles on a movie. No, like that. I'm not doing subtitles on that thing you do. No, it's it's in English, but it's. The packaging is French for some reason. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to do a forgotten film on the movie House, which is the Japanese horror movie, but that's like 70s. And you can do most of those as blog posts? Yeah, I'm going to do blogs. I'll write on them. So over on our website, which is presciniafilmsociety.org, there's a blog link. You can go and read Dustin's... And the monster. And it's forgotten... What is it called? Forgotten here? Films. Forgotten Films. And I have my Godzilla up there, and what, oh, I did Incredibles 2 when it came out. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. We're, get, we're getting back into reviews, doing our reviews and blogs. So. Yeah, I like writing. I need to start writing more about them, so maybe once a week I'll release the, maybe. So this week maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do that thing you do this week. Because this is the good time of year to be watching movies. Right. But yeah, maybe, maybe Life Aquatic. Anything in theaters right now you want to go see? No. How about Booksmart? No. That was tempting me. I don't know why. I wanted to see X Men, and I heard it's awful. Yeah, it's I've I've not seen any good reviews. And for I it. didn't think about it when it came out, but I guess one of the reviews I watched from a reputable source, a reputable source, reputable that changes the meaning, doesn't it? Reputable <laughs> source said that it felt like halfway through the movie, everyone gave up because Disney bought them halfway through the movie. Well, so he well, said Disney was in the process. Of buying yeah, them. so literally, he said it. it the movie felt as though even they, they that, even Fastbender and all they were just they were there they didn't really care it was over I 
Yeah. The more I read about it, I said, I'm not going to go see it. Most of the reviews I've seen, the only the only highlight is the score. That's bad. So rapid fire as we wrap as we wrap up. Oh yeah. Are you going to hit me with it? I can hit you with it. All right. Robert Pattinson as the new Batman. What are your I thoughts? I don't care. I <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that one was easy. I don't care. Um my favorite Batman and probably I mean Christian Bale's great. He's a different Batman though. I actually like Michael Keaton as Batman. Michael Keaton I thought was good as Bruce Wayne and Batman, whereas Christian Bale's good as Batman. I don't buy him as much as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He doesn't do well outside the, no. the costume. Michael Keaton, for some reason, just felt more like he was able to play up that he's kind of stuck up billionaire, but then when he's Batman, he's Batman. Whereas Christian Bale's kind of just this almost the same as Batman. He's very broody as yeah as Bruce Wayne. That was that it. Was that the that was it. fire? Oh yeah. nope, don't care. There you go. That was easy. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something about a floating floating dinosaur or something. Nope. Good. If you have any questions or comments about Jurassic Park, Scream, or anything else we bantered about today, you can email us at podcast at persiniafilmsociety.org. You also can contact us. We're on Facebook. We are Persinia Film on Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) And I am the one who monitors Instagram and Dustin monitors the Twitter. 